0: You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged.
1: Listener supported, WNYC Studios.
0: Hey, it's Latif
2: from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, How did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab Adventures on the Edge of What We Think We Know. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
3: General Vibe Check. It's the last quarter of the year. How are you feeling?
2: The vibes are a little a little off.
3: What can you do? Like, you can stress out about anything right now, but, like, the next event happens and it's like, well, I have to stress about this new thing.
1: Everything's overwhelming right now. Other than that, I'm doing okay.
3: I've been staying in my own little bubble, trying to keep the mental
4: health vibes up. Maybe disconnected, just, like, the news in general.
3: I'm choosing to ignore it. I don't know what else to do.
5: There's only like six months left of 2022. Actually four months. Is it actually? <laughs> Yo! I
1: think Mercury is in like retrograde or something.
3: Monkeypox, Queen dying. The Don't Worry Darling movie. The Corn Kid, you know, it's meme. Oh my God, you don't know about the Corn Kid? He's like this TikTok star. I'm referring to things that happened in the last three weeks, but it's been a year.
2: It's the United States of Anxiety. I'm Kai Wright. Welcome to the show. And tonight's show is all about you, dear listener. This is a vibe check. As you just heard, for a lot of us, certainly for me, these are strange times. It was a summer of droughts and heat waves and natural disasters. Our hearts, of course, are with the folks in Puerto Rico today, in particular, as they confront yet another horrific storm But I felt a real dissonance between the material reality of what's happening around us and just a general sense of saying, you know, I'm going to tune this out for now. And, you know, maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Um, the, The pandemic is the obvious example. It is seemingly over in the eyes of officialdom and a lot of individuals. But then everybody I know keeps getting COVID. And of course, we are in an election year that by all sober accounts could push our democracy past the edge of sustainability. And yet I don't think most of us are paying much attention to electoral politics at all. And again, maybe that's a good thing for all of our collective mental health. But anyway, I really don't have a sense of where everybody's at right now. Like, really, what's the vibe? So tonight, we're opening the phones to hear from you. This one is your show, so get your phones and your typing fingers ready. I'm going to throw out a few questions to stir the conversation, and the first one is about the overall national mood. So the classic polling question before every election is whether people feel the country is headed in the right or the wrong direction, Mm -hmm. and the answer has notably trended toward wrong direction in recent years, which is no surprise given all we've been through. So I actually want to hear from anyone who feels like we're headed in the right direction. What is it that you're seeing? If you feel that way, what is it you're seeing that the rest of us are not? For anyone who's feeling optimistic about the future of the country, what is the source of that optimism? And I am joined for tonight's vibe check by WNYC's own Brian Lehrer. As you know, Brian leads a two-hour conversation, two-hour live conversation every day right here on WNYC. So while some of y'all have been out at the beach, or just unplugging personally and generally from the public conversation, Brian has been in it. And he is probably better positioned than anybody to check the vibe. So as we head into the fall and into this big election, we welcome Brian Lara. Brian, thanks for coming on, sir. Hey, Kai. And the vibe is
5: definitely corn boy. But never mind.
2: <laughs> Corn boy on, YouTube, on TikTok. I almost said on YouTube. It's on TikTok. All right. So Brian's going to walk us through some of his big takeaways from a busy summer of news. And listeners, in addition to answering my question for all of you, you can also ask Brian questions throughout the hour. And for now, keep your questions focused on national politics because that's what we're going to be talking about first. So if you got a question for Brian about national politics, call us up or... If you want to answer my question, call us up, which is, again, this. Anyone who feels the country is headed in the right direction, what is the source of your optimism? 212-433-WNYC. Okay, so, Brian, let us talk about uh, national politics and where things stand right now. On September 27th, your show is starting the second iteration of your midterm election series. And as I understand it, based on popular demand... Uh, you're devoting a third of the series to the topic of democracy, both preserving it and improving it. So is it fair to say that the big takeaway in national politics for you and the listeners you've been hearing from is that concerns about democracy continue to be at the forefront?
5: Yes. So the series is called 30 Issues in 30 Days, and that's what it's going to be in uh, 30 shows between September 27th and the election. And we did, as a prelude, a five-part series of call-ins this summer asking, what's your main midterm elections issue for people of different generations, starting with callers in their 20s or below and ending with callers in their 90s and above? Kai, (laughs) we did get our first ever 100-year-old caller during that segment. I was was listening. I heard it. (laughs) It was very cool. And there were some generational differences, but the through line during all five parts was that people kept raising democracy in Mm. peril. And nobody raised it more than the 90-year-olds who've seen a lot of history, obviously. Our final caller, maybe you heard it, was a 90-something woman who had escaped the Holocaust to come to this country, and she was shuddering over the echoes from that era Mm -hmm. that she sees rising here today. So that's a little bit of popular demand context. Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, in some ways, it's surprising because I think a lot of analysis back in the spring expected that, you know, this issue, democracy would fade into the background as we got further away from uh, the Trump era and further away from January Uh, 6th. Is And particularly given more pressing concerns or more immediate concerns around health and around money that people had, uh, do you think it's the House hearings on January 6th that succeeded in keeping democracy in people's minds? Or what what do you think it's owing to that this has managed to stay on people's minds? I
5: I think the January 6th hearings, yes. I think that's not the only reason. But if you're asking about that, I'd say the extent of the conspiracy to block the transfer of power – raised eyebrows and Mm -hmm. raised perceived threat levels, if you want to call it that, regarding democracy. I think the committee has done such a good job so far of explaining Mm -hmm. what really happened in a clear and organized way.
2: I mean, what kinds of questions do you hear from people then when we're talking about democracy? Is it really only like, hey, we got to stop these MAGA people? How do I do that? Um, Or is it more than that? Is there something else in the conversation you're hearing?
5: Uh, Much more. Democracy in peril, I'd say, maybe more than anything, from the politics of the stolen election big lie leading to all these states right now where they're making it harder for Democratic Party constituents to vote and where they're trying to change the laws so that politicians might be able to cancel election results Mm -hmm. that they pretend are invalid. And Republicans in various swing states are running on that. And I think it's also from the modern Civil War proponents, if I can call them that, among some elements of the right, mm-hmm. leading many of my callers to fear that the January 6th Capitol riot might be the beginning of an era, right. not just a one-off piece of lunacy.
2: Right. That, that we're, that we're going to be in this space for a little bit. Uh, well, let's go to a caller, Wilson in Yonkers, who I think wants to answer my question about what he's optimistic about if, the, if we're headed in the right direction. Wilson, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. Um, glad to be a part of it. The I have been from what I've been experiencing, and seeing has things have I think are moving in the right direction. Both uh, during COVID period, I was living uh, with family in far upstate New York, uh, right on the Canadian border, which is a very red area. Um, they don't. I'm not seeing the amount of uh, flag waving and everything I used to see. I think. Mm. I think the the the, uh, the
2: Oh, I think we lost Wilson there for a second. That's okay, but I think I get the sense he's saying that up there in, in what was a red area, he is nonetheless, and what he was concerned about uh, with flag waving and people being uh, the MAGA crowd, I think is what he's really talking about. I, I'm
5: curious, Kai, maybe for another show, what has radicalized the Adirondacks? Because that's where he was all the way up there. That's Elise Stefanic country. who went from being this relatively moderate New York Republican to being, you know, uh,
2: all in on MAGA. Let's go to Christina in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you. So you are optimistic, Christina. What is the source of your optimism?
3: So um, I think that there are discussions that are being had right now that we tend to ignore when everybody has plenty of money to spend, or uh, everybody, the economy is going well for certain groups of people. I think we start ignoring poverty, we start ignoring homelessness problems, we start ignoring migrant problems. And I think right now we have an opportunity to have a conversation about how bad is healthcare for everybody, how bad is our our situation with migrants, how bad is... Uh, different aspects of people's lives, and we have an opportunity to do something about it. Even with the pandemic, we have seen the government can step in and start paying for testing for people. The government can step in and right. start paying for certain aspects of health care. And I think since we're having this conversation, and we never have it when things are going, quote-unquote, right, now is an opportunity that we Christina, might not I, get otherwise.
2: Can I ask you, Christina, because this is something that, that we talked about a lot back in 2020, even, you know, when the pandemic first started. And, oh, we can't go back to normal. And everybody was sort of saying, yeah, what's the opportunity to do some of these things in a long in an ongoing way? So in your own life, like in your social circles, do you find that people are, in fact, ready to have the kinds of conversations you're saying this is an opportunity to have? Are you seeing that?
3: I'm actually seeing more people talking about politics and what's going on in the country than I've ever seen. Mm. I've been into paying attention to politics maybe for the last, let's say, 10 years myself, and then maybe the last three years, I've I've suddenly seen people wake up and start paying attention in ways I haven't seen before.
2: Got it. Thank you, Christina. I got time to sneak in one more real quick. Uh, Let's go to Deanna in Manhattan. Deanna.
4: Deanna. And I am absolutely thrilled. Um, I am really doing something that most Americans should be doing. If you don't like the candidate, find a way to vote them out. And what happened was with me was an amazing story. Our previous mayor... Offered small businesses like myself an opportunity to get a grant because it all went during COVID to the big companies, and my representative promised me he'd send it in for me because I was a victim of identity theft, and he never did it and he sat on it and he never returned my calls for months and months and months. I was waiting for this money that I really needed, and I just kept praying and praying and praying. And then just three weeks prior to the um, primaries, I got a call from the Democratic Party asking me what do I thought about our governor, our mayor. And Would I vote for this person or that person? And I didn't even know my representative, the one that hurt me very badly. Deanna, i got to wrap prim- you up. Wait, wait, prim- primary, listen to this. And I ended up calling the woman he was running against, which I didn't know, asked her if I could make 5,000 calls for her to help her get elected. That's the way you're happy about democracy. That's the way you make change. Oh. And
2: God bless America. Thank you very much, Nina. I'm Kai Wright. We're doing a five check tonight with WNYC's own Brian Lehrer. We'll be right back after a break.
3: The archives at Carnegie Hall hold treasures from our cultural history. In the new podcast, If This Hall Could Talk, we use these items as touchstones to explore how the past shaped the world we live in today. I'm your host, Jessica Vosk, and I'll be joined by historians, performers, cultural critics, and others to look back at the iconic venue's legendary and sometimes quirky history. If This Hall Could Talk, from Carnegie Hall and distributed by WQXR. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
2: Welcome back. I'm Kai Wright, and I'm joined by WNYC's own Brian Lehrer. It's a vibe check tonight, guys. I'm posing some questions for you to get a sense of where people are at emotionally and mentally as this really strange summer concludes, and as we head into a huge election. We've been talking about national politics, but now I want to pivot a little bit and talk about personal and public safety. Because that's been a huge aspect of our lives lately. It's come up a lot in the news. And so our next sort of vibe check question for everybody is going to be on this topic. On a scale of 1 to 10, how safe and secure do you feel right now? And I mean beyond crime, though that's certainly part of it. But I'm also thinking about stuff like public health or uh, about some of us whose lives are often the subject of people's political debates—transgender and queer people, for instance, or immigrants and Muslim Americans—but whoever you are and however you think about safety and security, answer this for me. On a scale of 1 to 10, how secure do you feel right now? Or, of course, if you have questions for Brian Lehrer about anything, it's a, what, what, what do we call it? An, an ask you anything segment. Instead of ask the mayor segment, it's an ask Brian anything segment. Uh, you can call us up for that as well. 212 wnyc Okay, so Brian, safety is another big touchstone in your upcoming series, 30 Issues in 30 Days. And it's just been such a huge part of the conversation in New York this summer. How would you rank us overall all. As as you've observed this conversation about public safety this summer, where would you put the general anxiety on a scale of 1 to 10?
5: Oh, boy. 1 to 10 is hard. But (laughs) it's higher than it's been in more than 20 years, Mm. I would say. Uh, Not because crime is as high as 20 years ago, but because it's going in the wrong direction for the first time since more than that. So, I'd go very high with your scale and give you probably an 8 if Mm. I have to name a number, but I frame it more as crime and criminal justice, not just crime, because Mm -hmm. I think there's a tension in this city and in the country generally, and I think I'm not telling you anything that you don't know, but a tension between what I would call not wanting to go back to the bad old days of one kind or another kind. People don't want to go back to the bad old days of violent crime like the 1970s and 80s in New York City, and they also don't want to go back to the bad old days of mass incarceration, like the 90s and early 2000s and arguably still today, but incarceration has come down over the last 10 years in the city. Um, Bill de Blasio would tell you that reducing the Rikers Island population by thousands is one of his proudest accomplishments. Mm -hmm. Now it's going back up. So a central question for society, I think, in New York City and elsewhere is how do we find the right balance or better yet, whole new way of approaching public safety um, that doesn't make it just a tug of war between those two dystopian battle days, depending on who you are. Yeah. and But
2: I mean, just to get into our collective psyche for a minute, I, you know, you said maybe it's about the change in crime rates. I, but I do wonder, you know, it, crime rates are going up, but they're still historically low. And it's so profound of a concern. I heard one of your shows uh, about New York's job recovery and that um, we're lagging behind the rest of the country and that this is because of fears of crime that um, suburbanites, people outside of the city, don't want to come in and that slowing job growth. I mean, it just feels like it has become this fe- this concern about safety. It feels like it has become... Just a really dominant issue here, and I think in a lot of cities around the country. I mean, what do you really think is behind it if it's not just the numbers? Well,
5: somewhat it is directional. People feel differently if something is getting better than something, if something is getting worse, as opposed to the absolute numbers. But also crime is such a big media story, right? The tabloids and local TV news play up the most sensational crimes because people are already concerned, but they play them up like they're the new normal for most people. And I would say people in the suburbs, since you cited the suburbs, who come into the city, let's say those who come in mostly for theater or other cultural events, are the most susceptible to seeing things as worse than they are. And maybe commuters to Mm -hmm. work too, but at least the commuters have daily contact. And, And there is also COVID. We are in a steady state. As you mentioned at the top, you made a reference to it. You know, We have about 15 per, uh, people per day dying from COVID all summer in New York City, according to the New York Times COVID tracker. And that compares to less than two murders citywide per day, by the way, if we wanna compare COVID mm-hmm. to fatal crime. And th- these things combined keep people jittery, even as people return to pre-pandemic activities to an increasing degree, I think.
2: Yeah. I'm talking with WNYC's Brian Lehrer about his big takeaways from our disorientingly busy and high-stakes summer of news, I have to say. Uh, And we're taking your calls right now. As part of our Vibe Check tonight, I'm asking you, how safe and secure do you or don't you feel? On a scale of 1 to 10, how secure do you feel right now? And let's go to Cooper in Brooklyn Heights. Cooper, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? I am well. So, so how? What about you? On a scale of one to ten, how do you feel, and what puts you at that place? Uh, I rated about a two, uh, just because I think long term, the effort to like curb climate change just isn't really happening at the speed it needs to. So, like, as much as like crime rates go up, crime rates go down, or something like that, that's all deck chairs in the Titanic. Mm. Okay, deck chairs on the Titanic, Ryan. How often do you hear that?
5: Oh, I hear it a lot. And in that generational call-in series that we did, it was interesting to me, and of course, this is a thoroughly unscientific sample, but the callers who most mentioned climate change were the youngest cohort, 20 and below. We had a 15-year-old who called in, talked about climate change, um, and the oldest cohort. And I think that that's because the youngest people among us, they have their whole lives ahead of them to worry about the, you know increasing threat of climate change. And maybe the older people, the oldest people, that was the 90-plus cohort, um, takes the longer view. They're not so worried about, you know, this week's grocery bills for raising their kids and that kind of thing. So maybe the youngest and the oldest have the longest-term view among us, but we certainly hear climate a lot. And enough that uh, we this year instituted a weekly climate story of the week segment to make sure that it stays front and center, where I think it needs to be among these things that seem more tangible and of the moment. Mm. Let's hear from
2: Onika in Brooklyn. Welcome to the show.
3: Hi, um, I live in a high crime neighborhood. Um, you know, just last night I heard gunshots. Well, actually early this morning. But I'm more so afraid of domestic terrorism because that has been met historically in the United States with impunity. Mm-hmm. So low-level crimes, well, not low-level crimes, it's street crimes, um, interpersonal crimes. Those are addressed by law enforcement. But domestic terrorism, law enforcement yeah. officers are among those who hold those same allegations right. of the people who perpetrate those crimes.
2: Thank you for that, Onika. And this is, Brian, I think connects to, I, in my mind, to your democracy questions from, right. from our beginning of our conversation, right? Now, I mean, does, how much does this come up with folks?
5: It comes up all the time. We saw an example of the ongoing threat of domestic terrorism this past week when, you know, Trump said on a radio show that if he's indicted on any kind of criminal charges, there will be trouble like this country has never seen. Well, What would that mean he's comparing it to, since the country has seen plenty of trouble over the years? Like, how about the first civil war? Or it's seen major riots sparked by a variety of things, we all know, and more. And Trump waves that statement off as a prediction, not incitement. But it sure can sound like the time he said, proud boys, stand back and stand by. Remember that? Rather than denounce them, as he was asked Mm -hmm. to do in that televised presidential debate, Uh, And then, of course, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and others felt that they were called to arms by Trump for January 6th. That's come out in some of their trials and in some new January 6th rioters video from the Capitol that was released just last week. So absolutely, that plays centrally into people's concerns about democracy.
2: Let's go to Jeremy in Prospect Park, Brooklyn. Jeremy, welcome to the show.
3: Hey. Hey, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. Good afternoon, Kai. And Ryan, um, subway ridership and the safety uh, around subways is completely out of control. And it really takes away from the quality of living of anybody who lives in New York City who relies on that public transportation and who just wants to get around in the evening. So that is, to me, brings everything, what would be a nine or a 10, down to maybe a six or a seven. It's got to be an issue. The subways are just a nonsense. And I've guessed that people coming from out of town visiting me, and I'm like, don't take the subway. Mm. And it's like that. That's what makes the city so great, is the ability to get around through public transportation and go into Manhattan, go anywhere. So that's my that's my take, guys.
2: Thank you, Jeremy. This again feels relative to me, Brian. Um, you know, I mean, I know I talked to other New Yorkers, you know, who have been here a long time. I mean, I don't know how long Jeremy's been here, um, who are like the subways are perfectly fine. Um, First off, are you able to fact check for I can't do it off the top of my head, like the level of crime on the subway right now? Are you able to do that off the top of your head? Sorry.
5: I don't have it in front of me, but it's, you know, like a lot of other street crime, it's higher than it was a few years ago, but it's much lower than it was decades ago. And so to some degree, uh, it very much is a matter of perception. And, you know, there's there's no Single answer, but by and large, taking the subway
2: is very safe. Yeah. All right. I want to get to one more. I think in the on this line of question about what makes how, how secure you do or don't feel. Uh, let's go to Terry on in Cortland Manor.
1: Yes, I am seventy three. And uh, I am highly alarmed by the rollbacks of uh, so many advances I've seen in my lifetime. Um, the the whole issue of abortion rights, uh, voting suppression, things like that. And not only am I alarmed by uh, the problems with these on their own, but uh, also the fact that we need uh, so very much to be working on climate change and uh Uh, these other, uh, these rollbacks are derailing from, uh, from what we need to do on climate change. And then as an, as an added little problem, my own local problem is very recently there's been a proposal to erect a 14 story cell tower in my very quiet forested street. And, uh, this would also be right next to a county forest and uh, in in scrambling to uh, to fight this i've been learning about the inadequacies of the very outdated 1996 telecommunications act uh, uh, some of, uh, the provisions of which make it impossible to fight the cell tower on health and safety grounds.
2: Terry, can I ask you just because, uh, we, we're, we're running out of time, but I want to follow up with one of the things you mentioned was, uh, the rollback and access to abortion. And I wonder about in your circle. So there's a lot of, was a lot of talk when the Supreme Court, of course, started the summer by uh, reversing Roe, uh, about the long-term impact this would have politically in terms of how much it would galvanize voters and how much it would uh, fuel movements. What has been your experience in terms of how, how much that is on the forefront of people in your, your, your world's li- minds?
1: Well, with the pandemic and everything, I, I just got my second booster, but uh, I've I've been more isolated than usual. My contacts are mainly online, but from from what I can tell, I think it is having an effect on uh, women on of a lot of ages. I certainly hope so. And and now with this uh, apparent uh, national proposal by Republicans to uh, to to ban abortions, I hope that will have even more of a galvanizing effect.
2: Thank you for that, Terry. Uh, And uh, going back to the subway point, I just want to point out somebody on uh, YouTube points out that, you know, when... The, the, the stats are one factor, but it's beyond the stats. It's the, it's the shocking incidents, like when the woman was pushed in the rail track and killed. Uh, there have been some large incidents that have affected people's emotional relationship to the subway, so it's more than statistics, and I think that's a good point. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Um, Brian... Moving on for a second from public safety, as we start to wrap up this part of the conversation, I do want to get to another issue that is going to come up in your 30 issues in 30 days that is one of the big takeaways uh, from the news cycle this summer, and that is housing. Um, and, you know, there has been... Uh, a, and this connects to how people feel safe or secure, for sure, and how 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 comfortable they feel in, in their housing. Uh, but there is a, a housing affordability crisis happening nationwide, New York City is certainly at the center of that. Uh, you had uh, uh, several call-ins about this over the course of the summer. W- what were you hearing from people in terms of like, the, the, the choices that they're being forced to make?
5: Well, I mean, long-term, middle-class and working-class wages have stagnated on average. That's true for decades now. And affordable housing supply is not kept up or kept down, if you want to look at it that way, with that market forces in the situation of unequal supply and demand, too much demand for the supply, favors the suppliers, the landlords. So we see the gentrification of neighborhood by neighborhood after neighborhood. Obviously, it's lower income people who get displaced or have to make themselves house poor by paying such a big percentage of their income in rent. We know lower income people are disproportionately people of color too. And so the cycle of white privilege in the economy gets perpetuated by this. And it's really hard, you know. I have to say, um, looking at all the choices that politicians have to make, I mean, there was the mass construction of public housing way back in the 1930s when FDR and the federal government believed in helping to fund it. That's been gone for a long, long time. The city and state governments feel that they don't have the money at the scale needed. So we get... Deals with the private sector, compromises like tax breaks for affordable housing construction or mandatory 20 percent affordable to get a zoning exemption for big, mostly market rate developments, you know. And these are imperfect solutions that aren't up to the task of meeting the actual need. And I don't know that anybody has the real answer for yeah. New York City.
2: Yeah, but it is it is on the it's certainly on the forefront of everybody I know's mind, the cost of what it takes to, to have a place to live. I am talking with WNYC's Brian Lehrer about his big takeaways from a busy and high-stakes summer of news and about the midterm elections that are coming this fall. We're going to take a break and then shift gears one more time because I want to talk about good news. I want to know what got you pumped this summer or what's got you excited about the fall. More Brian and more of your calls after a break. Hey everyone, this is Kusha, I'm a producer. As some of you may have already heard, there is big news about our show. We're gonna start broadcasting the live show nationally every week. And as part of that launch, effective today, we're gonna relaunch with a new name, Notes from America, with Kai Wright. The other segment of this week's show is all about that change and all the good things it means. So we're dropping that segment down our feed today along with what you're listening to right now. So please do check that segment out. Now, starting next week, we'll be coming at you with the same thought-provoking discussions just at a bigger scale and with a refreshed name and sound. We're all super excited about it and excited to keep you in the conversation. So one more update about that. We've got our own social handles now. So please follow us and talk to us either on Twitter or Instagram. In both cases, our new handle is at NotesWithKai. I hope you'll check us out. All right, thanks. Talk to you soon. Welcome back. I'm Kai Wright and I'm joined by WNYC's own Brian Lehrer for a vibe check tonight. I've been posing questions for you to get a sense of where everybody's at emotionally and mentally as this summer concludes and as we head into a huge election. And with the time we've got left, I want to talk about what was good this summer. So listeners, what got you pumped this summer? What And, and what has you super excited about the fall? And Brian, I know that you've got a few things you're really happy about, and a lot of them came from the world of sports, I gather, and it starts with baseball, yes? Is there going to be a Subway series? Well, I don't know if there's going to be a Subway
5: series, but yes, on the lighter side of uh, what's there you know, to be happy about right now, um, I'd say in general, it's a fun time to be a New York sports fan and to start with baseball. The Yankees and Mets are both headed for the postseason, whether or not there will be a Subway Series, and with some very likable stars to watch. In fact, the Mets, just this afternoon, tied a record for the most strikeouts in a game in Major League history, in a very exciting game. And Aaron Judge of the Yankees hit his 58th and 59th home runs of the season. That's one behind Babe Ruth and two behind Roger Maris for the Yankees and American League records. And off they go. Subway series, not out of the question.
2: Now I have to—I got to I gotta put you on the spot here, Brian, because I—I I was told before the show by uh, that, that it's not totally clear where Brian falls on the Yankees versus Mets conversation. So, are you willing here tonight to to give us a sense? Brian is a little more Yankees, but loves
5: both teams. My parents, <laughs> my, truly, my parents were from the Bronx, Yankee fans. My first games were going to Yankee Stadium, but I grew up in Queens, just a few miles from Shea Stadium, and so was going to Mets games as a kid all the time, and I have a genuine affection for both teams.
2: All right, listeners. I want to hear from you. We've got a few minutes left in this and I, we've heard all the bad news. We need to hear the good news from you as well. What got you excited this summer? Yochi on YouTube says I was excited with the ascendance of the Linda Lindas, a very young punk rock band. They released their debut album on April 8th. So the Linda Lindas, uh, are, uh, are getting Yochi pumped. Uh, Brian, more sports news that I understand you're kind of excited about is you know um, we had a pretty cool U.S. Open tournament this year. It's has more fans than than I think it had uh, in 2019. So pre pandemic it's got it had a bigger audience than it had even pre-pandemic, right?
5: Those are the stats that I've seen, which makes it different than a lot of other live events, which have not recovered. Their full audiences from before the pandemic. And along with the beautiful retirement ceremony for Serena Williams, I hope a lot of people saw that, we also had the rise of some young American players who should be prominent and fun to watch for years to come and diverse, like Francis Tiafoe, Danielle Collins, and Coco Gauff. We haven't had a lot of American tennis champions uh, other than Serena Williams for a while, and all in that fabulous complex that got built for the city thanks to Mayor David Dinkins. Can I give you a little historical footnote here? Please do. Rudy Giuliani, when he was mayor, refused to attend a single match at the U.S. Open. He was definitely not America's mayor in that respect. As a kind of childish, I think, rebuke to Dinkins. But the stats that I've seen say the tournament is more than a half-billion-dollar boon to the city's economy each year. And after Giuliani left office, Mayor Bloomberg called it the only good athletic sports stadium deal— not just in New York, but in the country, because we know they they often bomb in terms of public benefit. And, you know, Dinkins hoped that he could help diversify tennis, and that
2: seems to be getting realized, at least to some degree. I'm going to conclude with David in the Bronx. We've got maybe 30 seconds for you, David, but I really want you to tell us why you're excited, because I'm excited for you.
3: Oh, 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 okay, okay. Um, I'm excited because I'm in love um that that really helps Aww. in this time Aww. um also, my kids are grown, so my child support has stopped <laughs> that's that's been like really great you know i am I have money now, like
2: i haven't had in twenty twenty five years I, so i don't know so you have fallen in love. And you got some money in your pocket and the sun is still shining at least a little bit until daylight savings time. And so, David, you're feeling it. And you know what, David, I hear you. Thank you for that. Thank
3: you. And I love your show. Thank
2: you. Thank you, David. Thank you, Brian. uh, Before we sign out here, 30 issues in 30 days. It's coming up September 27th. Uh, What what else are you going to get to in 30 seconds that uh, we haven't talked about?
5: Um, We're definitely going to get to abortion rights. We're definitely going to get to the culture wars in public education. We're definitely going to get to climate. We just mentioned that briefly. Um, so those are some things to look forward to every show starting a week from Tuesday until just before the election.
2: Okay. We will leave it there. That is our vibe check for the end of summer of 2022. You can, of course, catch Brian Lehrer every weekday from 10 a.m. to noon on WNYC or wherever you get your podcast. Brian, thanks for this. It was a lot of fun. Always great, Kai. We are a production of WNYC Studios. Milton Ruiz is our live engineer. Our team also includes Karen Froman, Regina Dahir, Rahima Nasa, Kusha Navadar, Jared Paul, and Lindsay Foster Thomas. And welcome aboard to our new intern, Vanessa Handy. And I am Kai Wright. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Kai underscore Wright. Or you can find me right here Sunday evening at 6. Talk to you next week.
0: Notes from America is supported by Future Hindsight, an award-winning podcast that shares big ideas about participating in American democracy beyond voting but short of running for office. Join host Mila Atmos for stimulating and incisive conversations with citizen changemakers on topics ranging from gerrymandering, policing equity, and voting rights. In this election year, Future Hindsight offers an unaffiliated perspective into what's at stake and how citizens can make an impact at the local, state, and national level. You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged.